Thank you for listening to this message from Forward Ministries. We pray it blesses you, encourages you, and inspires grace in you today. You can visit us online at forwardministries.org. You know, if the world would just know how good Jesus is, we wouldn't have all this junk that we have going on. If the church could figure out how to just make Jesus the object of our affection, of our faith, and have faith in his power and in his spirit to touch people, we'd kind of just get out of the way and trust him for people. You know, I mean, that's my prayer for the body of Christ. That's my prayer for this church, for the planet, is that we, we somehow figure out how to flow in those unforced rhythms of grace with God's Spirit in a real way that brings salvation and wholeness and hope to people. And, and really, it's, it's just love. It's His love. It's His love for us. It's His love expressed in Christ. It's what people are desperate for. I see people. I see people holding on to stuff in the world and even looking for the promises of God in the world, you know, to shortcut the process instead of just resting. I mean, words fall short, really. I have this thing in my heart, <laughs> but, but it's, it's, it's just something you got to connect with, with him. You know, what... what um, Adam was singing at the end there, it's scripture. What did he say? (laughs) We're in his presence because his presence is in us. I mean, that's Romans 8. The way that you know you're in the spirit is that the spirit is in you. So now the way you walk after the spirit is to think spiritually. You know, we've made it so difficult. We've made it so mystical. We've made it really hard to try to be spiritual as if we've got to do something else over somewhere else to be spiritual. But really, spirit is just life. I mean, a hug, a kind word is spiritual because it's life-giving. And if it points people to Christ, you can't get any more spiritual than that. I mean, we want the supernatural manifesting and operating, and that's part of spirituality, But that's not the definition of spiritual. Life is spirit. Spirit is life. And do you have life in every part of your life? I mean, I think that's what God's trying to do. He's just trying to pour his kingdom into every facet of your being. You know, I've I've been, I have these different exercises that I do. And, and, you know, they're God-breathed and they change over seasons. But, um... You know, I've just been thinking on what does it mean for the kingdom to be within us and the kingdom is righteousness, peace, and joy, you know, in his spirit. And so I I was thinking about righteousness, and I saw it in a way that I'd never really seen it before because, you know, there's a power in righteousness. I mean, we talk about it a lot in here, and it, it is a state of existence that you're in before God. Like when you go to the presence of God, if I can use that language for a minute, you stand before God, 
you're in righteousness. You're in right standing before the Father. When the Father looks at you, there is no law to be held against you. There is no sin to be held against you because Jesus dealt with it. You're in a place of acceptance, righteous, right standing with God. There's nothing between you and Him. He's not thinking, oh, you blew it. I'm not sure I can love you 100% right now in this moment. I'm not sure I can bless you because of this. There's none of that. That's only in our hearts and in our minds that we carry that stuff. So it's becoming aware of his presence and his righteousness. And I was just doing some meditation, and I just it was like I could feel this force of righteousness. And what would it, what would it look like for righteousness to permeate every part of my being? You know, soul mind, body, heart, everything. I mean, what would the fruit of the power of his righteousness permeating me look like? And what would it be? You know, I I value holiness. I value the fruit of holiness. I think religion gets it a little backwards and tries to say, you know, if you perform clean living, then that leaves you holy and you can be more holy and less holy. It's like, I don't think so. It's like, I think you're more ripe or less ripe. You know what I'm saying? I mean, it's like the fruit on the vine. You want to be vine-riped righteous. (laughs) In other words, you want to let it saturate every being, every part of you. Are you seeing that? I mean, you know, that's... That's the interesting part of you developing your own relationship with God and you taking this heart journey yourself with Him is that He'll show you things. He'll teach you little things that don't make sense to anybody else, but they work for you, and it teaches your heart and it teaches your soul how to be fed by Him. Have you been waking up to some things like that? And it's, it's, you know, it's by His Spirit. He wants to. He is constantly. And so that's really what this heart stuff is all about. I mean, I know it can get complicated and we can feel like it's heavy on us and like we've got all these responsibilities now and and we've got to, you know, it's like a whole new thing that you feel like you've got to learn. And, And I don't really want it to be that. I mean, I want it to be, you know, exciting where you are learning some things. But, but I want it to be more so that it just adds to your understanding of how to let God move in you more than anything. You know, because the church is waiting for God to move, right? And I'm not really, I don't want, I'm not trying to be critical of any denomination or anything. It's a mindset that I want to deal with. The church, a large section of the body of Christ is waiting for God to move, to show up and move and do something. And I think he's waiting on us to be moved. Like, I mean, it's a big deal that in the maturity of your Christianity, you learn how to let God move you. Like, especially in an environment like this. I mean, these, wow. You know, everything's just right. Justin nailed it on the sound back there. And these guys nailed it. Can you... Let your heart be moved by God in spite of your circumstances, in spite of what's going on in your life, in spite of what's going on in the world, in spite of what the news is trying to brainwash you to think. Can you you let yourself be moved? See, we're, we're so disengaged 
from the finished work of Jesus through the body of Christ. That, that, and we see such ineffectiveness, I think, in our lives and in the body that we just, we just kind of check out. We don't know. We're clueless on how do we let God move? What's God supposed to mean? You know, how, what would it look like for the body of Christ on this planet to be unified, moving toward the world in love and each other, to, to inspire faith, to inspire belief, to inspire salvation? I mean, what would that look like? You know, I don't know that we know how to trust God to do that. We're too busy being, you know, pitted against each other. I, I think that's what he's wanting us to do in this series and in this, you know, season is let ourselves be moved. Can you let yourself be moved? Father, teach us. Holy Spirit, we give you permission to move in us. We want to be moved by you. We want to be inspired when we hear your truth. We want to desire the fruits of holiness and righteousness when we hear your word preached, when we think about you. We want to protect our hearts and guard our hearts and guard our lives and our mouths and our choices and our decisions and our words and our relationships. God, we want the fruit of this holiness and this righteousness that you've given us to permeate our entire being so that it affects our world, our lives, and touches people around us. We want to be moved by you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. You know, I mean, it's like it's almost like asking. It's almost like asking to be in love. <laughs> you know, I mean, we crave love. We want love. We want to experience love. But that, that I mean, I think that's what we're. I think that's what God wants in us to be in the place where he can actually touch the world through us. And so all of this stuff, all of this, the psychology and, and the, the diagrams and, you know, all the things that we talk about, the language, and it's all for the purpose of only getting our minds and our hearts aligned with the Spirit of God within us so that his purposes can be established through us. And so that we can participate in his promises. I mean, it, it brings him glory when you experience his promises. I mean, it just does, you know. We, we question the will of God as if, does he really want good things for me? I mean, I hear people all the time reference something physical in the world and say, oh, well, he must want this for me because this, you know, it's like, okay, this is really bad over here, so God must be getting ready to do something really big. It's like... There's never a point that God is not constantly trying to do something big. Don't let something out here determine your expectation level. It's like, it's like we wait until something really bad happens to expect big things from God. Yeah. Boy, this is really bad out here. God must be getting a move. See, the devil knows how to hear God better than I do, and he knows what's happening in my life. So he's going to make a real big mess right here. Because God's fixing to do something. All right, I know. I'll, I'll, let me... Jesus said in Mark 1.15, the time has come. Say that. Say, the time has come. He said, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. I love that. Jesus 
focus of repentance is believe. Repent and believe the good news. This is what we're trying to do. I mean, this whole heart focus thing, this whole dealing with what's going on in our inside is a response to Jesus saying, repent and believe. And repent means change your mind. It does have within the definition with a turning away from sin, obviously. I mean, it's a choice to turn away from sin. It's a choice to look to His Spirit and let His grace empower you so sin has no power within you. Sin has no place within you because you're so full of His grace, it, doesn't even, it can't even fit in your soul. But we think repentance is be really sorry, convince God that you really blew it, and then maybe He'll forgive you. No, repentance is about, I am blessed, I am accepted in Christ. I need to change the way that I think. I'm in the kingdom. The kingdom is in me. I've got to think differently. So this is what I want to talk about today, and I'm going to get really technical. Are you all right with that? I hope you had your coffee, because I'm about to read quite a bit. This, is, this part is a little different than I normally do, but like I said, this, this series is a little bit more class-oriented. I've got some of this guy's books, but I want to read some ideas from uh, jo- uh, jo- Dr. Uh, Joe Dispenza. This guy is a neuroscientist, and he's got a whole bunch of degrees, and he's, he's studied thought formation and thought process and how thoughts shape, thoughts shape our actions and choices and all of that stuff. And, you know, there's a lot of psychology in it. It's funny that people get weirded out by psychology because we just want everything to be spiritual. It's like God created thought process. If you use thought process for kingdom purposes, it's spiritual. (laughs) If you allow your thought processes to be influenced by God, it's spiritual. Okay, so ready? Now, if I say something that you want me to repeat, go back. And if, if you want, I, I don't know, maybe I'll post these uh, like in our, in our Facebook group. If you're not in our Facebook group and you want to be, just uh, ask Adam or myself and we'll add you. If you're not on Facebook, you can email me, clint at forwardchurch.net, and I'll email you these notes because it's a lot, and you're going to want to read it and think about it. Some of these are direct quotes from this guy, and then some of them are just my thoughts. Now, let me preface it by this. This guy is a scientist. I'm not even sure he's a believer, but he approaches thought formation and, and dealing with your thoughts and dealing with identity and dealing with change from a scientific perspective. And he calls what we call the heart, he attributes all the functions of the heart to the brain and basically says that the way that the the patterns of your brain are your identity. We know that your identity is who you are in Christ, right? So keep this in mind as I'm reading through these things and as I'm reading through where science is a little too focused on brain activity or you know, the psychological aspect or the non-spiritual aspect, it's only because I want to show that even in neuroscience, even in psychology, They know that in order for you to change your behavior, and he's heavy on behavior modification, we're heavy on grace empowering you to transform. We don't want to just change. 
We don't want to just behave, modify our behaviors. We want the core of what we are to naturally produce transformation. And Jesus has done that. And what's so fascinating about all this, and I, you know, I'll just give you the bottom line from the beginning, is that in the realm of neuroscience and neuroactivity and studying thought formation and all of that, they say you have to change your basic brain pattern function, in other words, your identity, to, ch to behave differently. So you have to become a different person to do different things. I mean, on one sense, it's, it's deep and it's like, because it's the hardest thing to do is to change the way that you think. And it's the hardest thing because we're born into this, well, this is just the way that I am. This is just the way that I am. I'm just, you know, this is just why I have this in my life because this is, this is who I am. So we're so married to our behaviors and what has happened to us in this world to define our identity that these guys are saying you can change your identity by repetitive thought changes, meditation, on what you want your life to be like. Now, while there is uh, some validity in that, we don't want to just limit it to physical activity, of meditation, of changing the, your brain chemistry. We want it to be a spiritual process where we're fed and influenced by the spirit of the living God within us because our identity really already is changed. See, science is limited in, in the world in carnality, and we do this as believers too. We limit our transformation possibilities to our own efforts rather than realizing, no, I have a completely separate identity to live from. And what I need to do is disassociate from everything in this world that has defined me and reassociate and repent, change the way that I think, and re-identify every aspect of my being to being in agreement with Christ in me, to being in agreement with I have, I was dead, now I'm alive. I was separate from God, now I'm one with him. I was a servant, now I'm a friend. I'm a child. I was under law, now I'm in love. I mean, every aspect of the, our identity, our psychology, has to change to become a different person. And so where science is limited to, ooh, that was a good one. Where science is limited to, it's how much effort you put into changing your brain chemistry. We're unlimited by, you've already been given this new identity, now just come into agreement with it, and that spirit will do the work for you. Now, it's a, it's a paradox because we do labor. Now, I'm not going to try to get you into a place where you meditate so much that you're dependent on transformation happening through you changing your brain chemistry. Are you with me? What I'm saying is you're already a different person. You're not trying to change your identity. You already have a new identity. Let's just come into agreement with that, and that spirit will then do all those deep things within us. And see, because you behave and you make choices that are in agreement with who you think you are. And we want it to be a natural process that you make godly, Christ-like choices because you are convinced of your new identity deep in your heart. Amen? All right, so <clears throat> belief 
is a capacity of the heart. Whatever you believe in your heart will consistently shape your life. Now, you know, there's a lot of scripture associated with this as well. But it, and we know through the children of Israel that what's in their heart limited or allowed God to move in their lives. So will you put the graphic up? I made a new one. It's the heart graphic that's, um, it's got the white background. Uh, I've been working on this and updating it a little bit. You can kind of look at that. I think I'm going to do a few different phases. You know, this one is kind of defining where everything lives and what it all is. I think I'm going to do a few more slides that, that, that deal with function. In other words, like peace in this area, guarding our hearts, and that, and that as we choose life, our mind is renewed, and then we experience transformation. I mean, this is the process. You already, this, is, this is who you are. You are one with God in Christ, eternal, sanctified, purified, redeemed, righteous, perfect, holy, because you have been joined with Christ. Amen? And so we want that truth to influence where we really think, where we really believe, and let that light and that love be shed abroad in our heart so that our mind is renewed. And when your mind is renewed, you will experience transformation. That's Romans 12 too. You are transformed by the renewing of your mind. See, this right here is renewed. This right here, your heart is new. That's part of the promise of the new covenant. You're given a new heart. Now what we want to do is renew this area, renew our mind. And when you do that, you experience transformation. Interesting word, transformation. It's the same word used of Jesus when he was up on the Mount of Transfiguration. And before Peter and John, he changed, his face illuminated, his clothes illuminated. You could see the eternal aspect of him. I mean, it was like they didn't have a, you know... We don't have a grid for that. But it's the same word there that you are transformed. You are transfigured just like Jesus was on that mountain by the renewing of your mind. You can't do that in your own strength. You can't transfigure and display the glory of God in your face in your own strength. Are you following me? See, we've, religion says, get it right, get, your, get everything right, get this right, get this right, get this right, get this right. Then you can connect with God. It's like, come on, it's backwards. You're still under the old covenant thinking that you're outside the temple, got to come with the right kind of sacrifice. Then you get to go into the presence. Wake up to righteousness. You're in the presence of God because it's in you. So as you renew your mind, you experience transformation. Now, what I'm going to read you here is so fascinating because as your mind... Now, they say that mind is brain in action. But what the Bible says is mind is your conscience or your consciousness even. And conscience is dual knowledge, two kinds of knowledge. So your mind is actually in between spirit thinking and carnal thinking, and your mind has to choose which one it's going to be influenced by, spirit or carnality. Carnality not necessarily being evil, just physicality, just what's in the world. And so you choose right here in your mind 
what you will be influenced by. And as you renew your mind according to the Spirit, you experience a transfiguration. This means the change that you desire is one thought away. This means the limitations of success are one thought away because God wants you in a place of abundance. It's not your thoughts. It's not your effort that produces this. It's your agreement with what is already true that allows this power to permeate you and change you. We, fought, we have been in religion for too long where we think we have to produce these changes. It's not that, it's impossible. Only the Spirit of God can transfigure your being. And I don't mean so that you get to stand up on a mountain and, you know, you're bright and shining and, oh, look how holy. But that you get to experience the kingdom. This is the goal. God wants you to experience the kingdom on this planet. Righteousness, peace, and joy in His Spirit manifesting in every part of your being and affecting your life and everybody around you. And neuroscience validates this and says that as you change the way you think, you fundamentally change who you are and you naturally behave differently. So... Science is really good at research. It just comes to the wrong conclusions many times because it's left to materialism. It's left to only what's observable. So <clears throat> the best tool we have to get the rest of our being into agreement with God's truth and influence in us is to change the way we think or repent, like he said. So you repent or change the way you think because you're in Jesus. And in Jesus, you have already been forgiven. See, this is what you have to repent. This is the changing of the mind process. Not to convince God how sorry you are so you can get forgiveness from Him. Because you already are forgiven, you change the way you think to come into agreement with what He's done in you, and then, then the power of it works through you. So because you've already been forgiven, you've already been purified by His blood, You've been made holy by this sanctification with His blood, given His right standing before the Father, made one with Him in Christ, been given the same authority as Jesus, been made a joint heir with Jesus, assured that all His promises are yes and amen, promised that you've been given everything that pertains unto life and godliness, been delivered from the power of darkness and translated into His kingdom. Now, you know, this is just my favorite ones. What are your favorite ones? I mean, I say those a lot, I know, but... That's what you come into agreement with, all of those truths. I mean, do you want to change? Mm -hmm. I think I'm supposed to. <laughs> Sorry. I know I hit this stuff hard, but it's like this is, this is where the power lies. This is our responsibility to steward the freedom that we've been given in Christ to allow transformation to bear full fruit within us. It's our responsibility to engage this process to let it happen so that God would be glorified, so that Jesus would get what he pays for. But it's not your responsibility to make it happen. It's a big difference. So 
All right, this is getting into Dr. Dispenza's uh, statements and information. <clears throat> we think 60 to, y'all ready for this? I want, you to, I want you to grasp what this is, what this is saying here. We think 60 to 70 thoughts every day. 90% of those thoughts are the same as the day before. The same thoughts lead to the same choices which lead to the same behaviors, which lead to the same experiences, which lead to the same emotions, which then full circle drive the same thoughts again. You ever feel like you're in a rut? It's because you are. 90% of the time, every day, you're in the same rut you were yesterday. This is just information here. Our biology, neurocircuitry, neurochemistry, neurohormones, I don't even know what all that stuff is, but you know, even our genetic expression stays equal to how you think, act, and feel as you have the same thoughts. Even your physical body changes as you think differently. How you think that now, I'm not sure I would say it this way, but I like the way he says this, so it's interesting. How you think, act, and feel is your personality. Your personality creates your personal reality. If you want to change your pers personal reality, you have to change what you're thinking about. So this means you have to think about what you've been thinking about. You have to become conscious of what you're not conscious of. Now, trust me, you can drive yourself crazy on some levels doing this, but really what we're talking about is just becoming aware of what you let yourself think 90% of the time, repetitively, over and over and over. So <clears throat> becoming conscious of your unconscious habits, patterns, and behaviors for the purpose of changing them. Now... This is where grace comes in. You know, they eliminate grace, but we know we can depend on God's grace. It's a strength that's not our own. It's a capacity that teaches us. It's a capacity that influences our... It's the very definition of what grace is. Grace is from God that influences your heart. You believe with your heart, and out of the heart flows everything to do with your life. And as you think in your heart, so are you. Grace is God's built-in influence in your heart to facilitate transformation. So you're not limited to your own efforts. And your emotions. Look at your emotions that you're having. Do you want those same emotions in your future? How does he say it? Let me make sure I'm reading it right here. Look at the, motion, look at the, look at the emotions that are connected to the past like, usually what you're feeling is because something happened to you, right? The emotions that you're allowing to dwell within you are connected to something that you went through or something that happened to you, good or bad. And if you don't want those same emotions in your future, you have to choose a different future. We're, we're not talking new age positive thinking things. We're talking, this is neurosciences, this is the way the brain works, and Jesus himself said... You have to change the way that you think because now the kingdom is here. 
And your heart determines the degree of the kingdom you're going to let yourself experience. That was the Mark 4 message. So most people try to create a new personal reality as the same personality. In other words, doing the same. What is it? The definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over and expecting a different result. We're all insane. <laughs> you have to become someone else. Now, this is a, this is a psychological, neuroscientific statement. You have to, this is their solution. You have to become someone else to have a new personality. You've already become someone else. The someone else that you've become is this. You can put this up. This is Colossians 2. Is anybody back there? Yeah. Anybody home? <clears throat> I'm, I'm keeping them on their toes back there. Flip over to Colossians 2 with me. We're going to start in verse 9. I mean, I just love this chapter. I think we might have read this. We pretty, went pretty deep into this, you know, last month or I don't know, sometime this year. What month is it? I lose all concept. I'm so spiritual. I'm not even, I'm not even aware of time. All right, Colossians 2.9. So just kind of putting this together, you know, science would say that if you want to change, you have to become a different person. You have to take, on, take upon yourself a new personality to change. Well, here's our new personality. Here is our new person, Colossians 2.9. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. Oh, I think, uh, I'm not sure which translation I have here. It might be Young's literal. And in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. Think about that. In Christ, you are already full or complete. In Christ, you are complete. That spirit aspect of you that's one with God is complete. It lacks nothing. There's not anything it needs to do to get more from God or become something else. See, the process we're engaged in is not trying to become someone else. It's trying to believe who we are. And in Christ, you have been complete. You are complete in Him. He is the head over every power and authority. In Him, you are also circumcised with a circumcision, circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self, ruled by the flesh, was put off when you were circumcised by Christ. This is when you get this new heart. So verse 12, having been buried with him in baptism. This is such an identity statement. I mean, it's like Jesus was making deep psychological statements when he was teaching these kinds of things. He was talking about the function of human psyche when he talks about this kind of stuff. You have to change who you think that you are to be in agreement with what has happened to you in Christ. So having been buried, you're dead. You died in Christ with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God. See, your faith is in the working of God. It's not your faith that produces this stuff. It's done to you because you believe, and your faith just comes into agreement with what he did. 13, when you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. Talk about a miracle. He forgave us, forgave all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. 
and has taken it away, nailing it to his cross. And the Pharisees come in and say, you better watch out for that greasy gray stuff. They're giving people a license to sin over there in that church. Ah, wake up! Verse 15, and having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle triumphing over them by the cross. There's a lot that he deals with there. He deals with your new identity. He deals with Jesus being supreme. He's got all authority to make these decisions. And then he says, nothing can touch you. No power that exists can change this, can, can come against the truth, that, he, that this working that he's done within you. All right, so... Keep in mind, there are some principles here that I want us to adopt and apply in regard to meditation on truth and trusting that that spirit will teach us, but it also changes the physical aspects of us so that our, our natural tendencies to go into this world even change because we're more in agreement with God. In other words, it becomes really difficult for you to choose sin. It becomes really difficult to let yourself worry because that's not in agreement with what's true in your heart and in your soul any longer. And God produces this within you as you renew your mind, as you, well, you're on it. As they renew your mind, you will experience this transformation. It's a big deal. All right, so again, back to the science aspect, a habit is a redundant set of automatic, unconscious actions, thoughts, and emotions where your body knows how to do it without thinking. Or in other, as, he, as he says, that your body becomes better than your brain. You think about that, you know, when you used to have to remember phone numbers, you go dial a phone number. It's like you can't think of somebody's phone number, but you pick the phone up and you just you dial it. Your body remembers. Well, we have emotional on unconscious memories as well. Like for us, we don't, because we aren't sure what we know and we don't know how we're going to respond and we don't know what the phone number is, the default that's programmed within us is fear and worry. And just like, in, just like the motor skill, you pick that emotion up and you just run that emotion without ever even thinking about it. It can change with one agreement with the truth. The truth will set you free. So if you're thinking the same thoughts 90% of the time as the day before, demonstrating the same behaviors 90% of the time as the day before, and embracing, this is, the, this is a big one, embracing the same emotions 90% of the time as the day before, over time, you fire the same circuits and sequences in your brain in the same patterns and same combinations. They call that your identity. Like the way that your brain is wired becomes your identity. We know we're not limited by that. God's bigger than your brain. Praise God. God's bigger than your thoughts. It even says in 1 John that God is bigger than your heart. But when you have confidence in your heart toward God, then everything you ask for comes to pass. This is staggering here. 90%, so given that we think the same thoughts 90% of the time all day, which means that we do the same things and embrace the same emotions 90% of the time, you might have moments where you rise above, but your heart 
says, mm, this is where we really should be. That thermostat brings you back down. That's the difficult part, but the, but, the, but the Spirit will teach you how to raise your hope level, your expectation level, what you think is possible to the realm of God's limit, un, unlimited expectation. Watch this. This, this is incredible. 95% of who you are by the age 35. Now, 95% of who you are and the way that you live by age 35 is a memorized state of being in which you lived in such a way that your body is now doing things without even thinking. By the time you're 35, 95% of who you are and what you do is a memorized set of emotional responses, choices, and behaviors. It's no wonder why choice in doing something different seems to be so hard because we, are, we have allowed ourselves to stay in those same patterns that even our physicality and the, electri- the electric <laughs> processes in us have pro- we're like computers, essentially, that have run the same program every day for 35 years. No wonder it seems really difficult to change, Right? I mean, you ever thought, I would like to change this, but I don't know how, so I'm just going to give up, and I'm going I'm to go ahead and just live with this level of provision, and I'm just going to go ahead and live with this level of guilt and shame, because I don't know how to change. None of us do. God knows how to lead us through the process, though. <clears throat> so, there's more here. I'll, let me just read some of the highlights. The process of change. Now he goes back again. The process of change where we're engaged in transformation, not change. Change is just doing something different than you did before. What we're engaged in is transformation because we are different, letting that permeate us so that we not just behave and think differently, but that we express this new identity. I mean, it says that the earth is, what is it, travailing, groaning, for the manifestation of the sons of God. Even the earth is waiting for us to manifest our sonship. I'm not trying to make an end time statement, but even all of creation, because God has set mankind in dominion over this planet, all of creation is looking to mankind of how to respond and behave. I think sin is less about the actions that you do, and it's what we've done to this world around us, you know, because of our dependence on ourselves rather than on God. We've put this virus into the world that is constantly trying to feed it back to us, and we're in a broken system. You know, you have to, it's like Neo in the Matrix, man. You kind of just have to realize, no, there's a, no, stop. Yeah, I can't help myself when I'm talking about this stuff. So the process of change requires you becoming... Let's see. Yeah, the process of change requires you becoming conscious of your unconscious self. See, your unconscious self is one with God. This is what you have to become aware of. Not the things that you're doing wrong that you need to fix. You let God take care of that part, right? You don't have to get in there and analyze your ego and your psyche and all those things of why you do what you do. It doesn't matter. 
Even if you knew why, it doesn't matter. The new self that you are just needs to be birthed and, and let it grow. So uh, let, let's say, this is an example, let's say over time you become unconsciously addicted to suffering. That's an interesting thought. Unconsciously, you're addicted to suffering. Maybe unconsciously, you're addicted to shame. And that's the filter. And that's how you see yourself. Maybe unconsciously, you're addicted to poverty because that's what's familiar to you. And when you make a choice to try to break those things because it seems unfamiliar and it seems different, then it sends a message to you can't do this, and then we go back to what's familiar even if it's destructive. All of your thoughts and behaviors are equal to that emotion, suffering in this case. You think the same every day. You make the same excuses by complaining and blaming yourself or others. And those emotions of suffering lead to guilt and you no longer want to do anything. This cycle that happens, and it's all one choice away. So then you become conscious of this and you decide you're no longer going to act, think, and feel the same way. And then two hours go by, your conditioning starts again, sending all those signals, and it puts you back to, well, then you accept your limitations. And then you look for more excuses. Well, I'm the, I can't change. You know, my dad did this to me, so I'm broken. My mom did this to me, so I'm, I'm always going to deal with this. I hadn't had a drop to drink in 24 years, but hey, my name's Clint. I'm an alcoholic. You know what I mean? It's holding on to that past and letting those emotions continue. And the Holy Spirit will teach you how to have the emotions of love, the emotion of righteousness, the emotion of peace. And as you are renewed in your thinking to be in agreement with kingdom, you experience this transformation. That is our role. That is our job is to get our minds so aware of what Jesus has accomplished in and through us that we feel it. And in just engaging in that process, as science here shows us, your physicality changes. Your brain will begin to rewire itself to facilitate those new thought patterns, those new emotions, those new feelings, until there's a tipping point where it's no longer... And, and, you know, he said it in, what is it, 1 Corinthians 10, that to uh, bring every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. See, Christ was obedient to death, and he learned patience through the suffering of death. And in his death, because he was obedient even to the death of the cross, gained eternal life and righteousness. You are to capture every thought that swirls around in here and line it up with what Christ was obedient to. You know, we've made that a statement of spiritual warfare as if you're out here fighting demons, trying to tie them up or something and get them to obey Jesus. It's like, no, my thoughts are betraying me. My thoughts are lying to me. My thoughts are keeping me locked into my past where I have to bring those thoughts into captivity of what Christ was obedient to. And what did Christ gain in his obedience? 
And so, I mean, I don't, you know, I've had to deal with that myself. What does righteousness feel like? Like it's this distant concept that we have a hard time connecting with. I don't know. Maybe that's a question we can answer in here next week. Which, by the way, we only have one service. It's next week, right? Yeah. Next week, because people are traveling, we're only going to do the 9 o'clock service. Sorry for, well, you're on 9 o'clock or so, and I apologize to you. <laughs> the hardest thing, now again, this is the science aspect, the hardest thing about change is not making the same choice as you did the day before. See, that's where grace comes in. You have to learn how to depend on and be empowered by His grace to not make the same choices and not think the same things. But what's more powerful, what the world gives you or what the Spirit of God gives you? You know, I think this is, this is a, they've measured brain activity and the, the, the intensity of thoughts. You know, your thoughts are electromagnetic. There are chemical reactions and electrical magnet reactions that happen in your brain as you think. When you think a negative thought, it's 100 times weaker in intensity than a positive thought. I mean, that's just something they've measured and, you know, in a controlled study. Positive thoughts are 100 times stronger than weak thought, than negative thoughts. So we think it's like dualism where it's like I've got to think, I've got to do this so positively that I'm interacting and it's like, you know, like we think God is in a struggle with the devil to reach us or something like that. We think the same thing about thoughts, but your physical brain even reflects back to you. It's, it wants to believe truth. It wants to think positively. It wants to be influenced by life and peace and righteousness. It will facilitate it more than you think. It just will. I mean, seriously, I, you know, I kind of want to follow some of y'all home and watch you throughout the week, not in a creepy way, but it's like, <laughs> what do you do when those emotions hit? Me, I, me too. You know, me too. What do we do when those emotions hit that we don't want in our lives? Well, you see, brother, we just live by faith. We're not live by feelings. Okay, yeah, whatever. <laughs> faith believes to the point of feelings being changed. So that's real in here first. I'm telling you, this is what you just, you have to learn how to live this way. We have to put this stuff into practice that when we are facing difficulty, we hold on to the truth without trying to dictate to the world what it's supposed to do so that that inner truth is established in our hearts, our mind is renewed, and you will experience transfiguration. It even says spiritual, to be spiritually minded is life and peace. It's not once you become spiritually minded, then you've got to go out here and do all this work to make it happen. No, the earth is waiting for you to manifest your sonship so it can respond to you. Very interesting statement, right? All of the earth, all of... Creation is groaning and waiting for you to manifest your sons, for you to believe in your heart who you are so it can respond to you. You're not a victim of the physicality of this world. You're the programmer of it by what you allow to dwell in your heart and in your mind. This world responds to you based on what you see and what you feel and what you're believing deep down inside of you. 
Are you willing to engage the process? So let me read this last passage and then we'll close. This is Ephesians 4. I'm going to start in 17. I think this one is actually the Young's literal translation, which is kind of directly from the Greek into the English without trying to get the language, the, the grammar correct. So, I, and, and there was a reason why I put that one in here, but I forget it now. There's so much information. Lord, help me remember. So, <clears throat> all right, Ephesians 4, 17. And you can put it up in the NIV just to see. So there's some familiarity there. This then I say and testify in the Lord. You are no more to walk as also the other nations walk in the vanity of their mind, being darkened in their understanding, being alienated from the... Keep this picture in mind, right? Don't be alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them because of the hardness of their heart. We're alienated from the life of God because of the hardness of our heart who, having ceased to feel... Interesting. What, what, do you see that? Yeah. 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 So, who having ceased to feel, themselves did give up to the lasciviousness for the working of all uncleanness and greediness. And you did not learn, you did not so learn in Christ, if so be, you did bear, you did hear him, and in him we're taught as truth is in Jesus. This is where we're going. You are to put off concerning the former behavior, the old man, that is corrupt according to the desires of deceit, and to be renewed in the spirit of your mind, put on the new man, which according to God was created in righteousness and kindness of truth. Your new man is created in righteousness and true holiness, another version says. Put on this new man daily. Before you leave the house, put on this new man. Not to try to become this new man, but to in your heart be in agreement with that you are that new man already. Amen? Well, thanks for hanging in there. I know I went long, but I hope it helps. Father, thank you so much that your spirit is teaching us how to yield to you, we want every aspect of ourselves to be permeated with your righteousness and holiness as we put on this new man that is already true in our spirit. We yield to it to experience the transformative power of your grace so that you are glorified through us.